Hi there. Welcome to Beyond the Comfort Zone podcast. My name is Israis Hag from Fishasi Fitness and Nutrition. On this podcast, I'll be interviewing experts about the various topics taught in fitness education to better understand the research, challenge some beliefs and biases, and provide helpful information to all the other health and fitness professionals out there who may have questions just like mine. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Now, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. See you soon. Today's topic is really important because it affects so many of us. And this is about health and nutrition around our menstrual cycle and through menopause. So from perimenopause all the way through menopause and beyond. Now, whatever we are going to discuss today, it's really important to remember that there is a massive individual variation, right? How we respond to these hormonal changes and other things that we're going to talk about is really going to be different from one person to another. So if you have any problem, if you have any issues with your hormones, or if you feel like you may need some support and help, please, please, please seek medical advice, right? Go to your doctor because they would be the best people to help you. Don't use this talk as medical advice. We are just hoping to provide you with the basics the general information, but for any anything specific to you, go talk to your doctor. Now, without further ado, hey, Joe. Hi. How, you How doing? are you doing? Enjoying the heat. It's oh, my God. It is boiling. <laughs> Thankfully, I have the, the AC on, so that's helping me cool down. But why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Uh, so I am Joe. I live up in Cheshire in the UK. And I am a certified nutritionist like Yosra is. Um, my day job is actually quite different. I don't work in the health and fitness industry as a full-time job. I work in sales and marketing, which you can probably tell from how much I talk. So apologies in advance if we go a little bit long. Um, and I do a little bit of nutrition on the side, sort of with a focus on helping dispel myths and misinformation so people can make better decisions for themselves on things that we can actually influence and change because obviously as was mentioned that some things are medical conditions and things like that but there's a lot we can do with regards to the lifestyle so that's kind of what I like to focus on and just helping people just like cut through all of the pseudoscience and everything that's online which just means that people can't really take control of their own health in a lot of instances because they don't know what to do yeah absolutely and it's it's scary out there like there's so much contradicting information out there and it just leaves the people feeling stuck and confused right okay so let's start with the basics what is menstrual cycle i'm hoping everybody in this group knows what it is right but let's talk about it what is it so the menstrual cycle is basically we start that when we reach puberty there isn't a fixed age it's sort of in the ballpark of probably some people have it as early as 10 or 11 sometimes it's later teens um, and that is when you start to become uh, fertile and produce eggs and your hormones change and you're essentially your body's preparing to be able to potentially in the future get pregnant and things like that. 
Um, so the menstrual cycle, it can take about five years before it actually sort of gets to what is a regular pattern for you. Oh, wow. um, so sometimes when people start it in their teens, it's very light. So sometimes that's just because it takes a while sort of almost for you to mature. Um, but once it is, uh, the average time for your cycle is 28 days. Day one is when you start to menstruate. So when your period starts, um, then the first half of your period, approximately 14 days, is the follicular phase, which is when we're estrogen dominant. And then the second half is the luteal phase when you're progesterone dominant. And they're the two sort of primary uh, female sex hormones. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the basics, right? Yeah. Um, how does, okay, so before we go on to the, the in-depth with how training and nutrition changes, tell us what menopause is, just sort of an idea. So menopause is essentially the next phase of your life yeah. um, when menstruation stops. So there's a time sort of when it starts to slow down, uh, but according to sort of the medical term menopause, that's when you haven't had a menstrual cycle for 12 months. Um, now there are other instances where there's um, surgical menopause. So that's things like if you've had a hysterectomy, if you've had your ovaries removed, um, sometimes chemotherapy or radiotherapy can cause that as well. But it's essentially a stop of your menstrual cycle or the end of that. Um, so, in history, um, where women's health has often been misunderstood, or maybe that's a nice way of putting how uh, men have controlled the narrative around women's health. Um, at one point, menopause was actually classed as a disease, but that's just simply not the case. It's just another phase in life. So um, it's something that most women will go through. Um, and obviously today we're talking about biological women rather than gender and things like that. So we're assuming that this is for people who have the female um, anatomy uh, so rather than anything sort of, so just for our terms today that we're using. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, before menopause, we've got perimenopause, right? Which can, which can last up to 10 years, which is insane because I started to experience this symptoms last year when I when I turned 38 and obviously at the beginning I, I wasn't sure what it was I was my cycle started being really weird it included spotting for like a, a good five days and then I would get like a, a bleed for like three days and then I would spot for like another four to five days and it's crazy because you don't know when you're gonna get it my mood was all over the place it still is sometimes because I'm still trying to get the hang of it, right? But it's, it's the interesting thing is that not a lot of us know about the, the peri-period. We know about, men, well, not as much about menopause, but the, maj the majority know what menopause is as opposed to a perimenopause. And you end up finding a lot of women struggle because they don't understand what they're going through, right? They're expecting to... to to have those feelings when they're in their late 40s and early 50s, but it can start like when you're still pretty young in, in the late 30s, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think this is part of, it's almost like a stigma about so much women's health that we just don't discuss it. I mean, even sort of like, 
just between ourselves or between family and things like that we just don't talk about these things and it can mean that often I mean sex education in this country is so so basic and then it's a case of it's almost sort of like swept away and we just don't get taught about it because I mean the average age for menopause is 51 years old that's kind of plus minus five years which is in the normal range but then you do get perimenopause and you get early onset menopause as well which I can't remember the term of the acronyms POI um so there are all these conditions but because we don't all openly talk about it and I know uh Davina McCall did a show on it was either BBC or ITV yes, a while yes, ago. yes 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 and that was one of the first like on the main channels in the UK that even had a show purely about menopause even if you think of films and TV and things like that how often do you hear it like mentioned or talked about or referred to um you basically have all these actresses that are like the love interest of whatever really old actor often. And then as soon as they get to a certain age, they just don't get cast anymore because we don't want like middle-aged or older women on television. We don't want to sort of talk about it and things like that. So I think it's a societal thing, but I think it's starting to change a little bit um, and it is more discussed and more sort of open because it happens to all women. So it's a case of, there shouldn't be any shame or any sort of fear about talking about it and things like that. Yeah, and 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 I think obviously the more we normalize it, because that's the key, normalizing these periods and phases that women go through, the more accepted it's gonna be, the the less of a stigma is gonna be. Right now, we are going to discuss exercise around these periods now. As a general sort of, you know, talking about exercise, we know exercise is uh, important for everybody. Sadly, sadly, a lot of people uh, associate exercise with weight loss as that is the only thing that exercise is, is good for. However, we know that we don't burn nearly as many calories as you think through exercise, right? So if you're depending on working out to as the only thing to create a calorie deficit, you're going to have a hard time, right? Say a, a resistance training session for about an hour is what, 200, 250 calorie burn, maybe depending on intensity and weight yeah, and all that stuff. At most probably. Right? But we know there are all these other amazing benefits for exercise. Example, reducing the risk of chronic diseases, diabetes, cardiovascular diseases, uh, cancers, right? We know it can help improve uh, body composition if you're doing resistance training, which we know has a direct impact to our metabolic health. So you're talking about your blood sugar regulation, your blood pressure, your triglycerides and all these things. We know there's a positive effect there. We know exercise has an amazing impact on stress, on our mood, mm-hmm. right? On the general a feeling of health. So we need to remember that exercise is not just for losing weight. And there's always this association of, you're so, you're so slim, why are you exercising? And I'm always like, seriously, <laughs> you know? Now we also understand that um, exercise and how we feel about the exercise that we, we are doing can be 
impacted through our menstrual cycle, our training capacity, right? How much intensity we can sort of have without training. Why don't you break that down for us and what the research is saying? Is there any specific a period of a cycle where we should exercise harder than other periods, let's say? Yeah, I mean, just first quickly, there's so many great points and I think so many people should see exercise as a positive in its own right outside of weight loss. And there's even like on the comorbidities and the disease risk, yeah. If you do not lose a single like pound in weight, but you exercise more, you're reducing your risk. So yes, it can sometimes help with body composition and it can sometimes assist weight loss. Um, although it's very rarely going to be the driving factor, but the actual health benefits you get from exercise are just off the charts. It's probably better than almost anything else that you could do. <laughs> um, so yeah, around the menstrual cycle, um, it's a little bit tricky because essentially, firstly, when it comes to actually looking now, me and Yuzra are both evidence-based practitioners. So we kind of like to look at the research and go, we're not just telling you this because Karen down the road or someone posted on Facebook and they said that this works. So it works for them. It's going to work for everybody. Um, we like to see sort of the mechanisms behind it, even if you aren't necessarily involved in going we, quite deep. We can talk about this for ages. <laughs> like, what do you, what do you think this means? What do you <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> lots of rabbit holes that we go down. Um, but also that's because when we give advice, we like to actually have some sort of backing behind it. So we know that we're giving you the best advice. And also doing that is so it's not a case of, n equals one and because something worked for this person doesn't mean like there's lots of people actually getting good results doing really sort of like bad things. <laughs> So it's the case. And some people are just genetically gifted and they could probably do almost anything and still look absolutely amazing. So it's a case of just because one person is doing something, don't think that is the sort of be all and end all. Um, now, the issue is we touched sort of almost on the fact that a lot of women's health is not as mainstream, certainly in um just the social consciousness and education and everything like that and unfortunately that does mean that research into women's health or women's issues as some people would phrase it is very lacking now unfortunately when you have a very small amount of research in a certain area it means you can probably find a study to back up any opinion um, because there just isn't the sort of consensus across the literature because there's just not enough studies and research been done for us to reach a scientific consensus. So with regards to training around the menstrual cycle, there's some studies which tell you one thing, which is training in the follicular phase is better. There's other studies that tell you the opposite, which is training in the luteal phase is better. So, so the follicular phase is the two weeks before your period, right? No. Before, ovulation, before ovulation, the first two weeks, and then the uh, luteal phase is the last two weeks, yeah? Yeah, that's right. So I have to check my notes to get this right. So 
Um, during the follicular phase, when we're estrogen dominant, estrogen does age repair and recovery just as a hormone. So you have higher levels of estrogen, which means theoretically, and again, we talk about mechanisms and then we talk about what that actually equates to in real life. But it does mean that theoretically repair and recovery are going to be higher, which would then in turn suggest that you could do higher volumes in the first two weeks of your period. Um, there's some sort of potential evidence that you're strongest right before ovulation, but then there's other things which say you're actually stronger in the second half of your period. So again, this is what we mean by the research just isn't definitive. Um, in the second half of your period, so that's days uh, 14 to 28, um, your progesterone dominant. Now, in that time, um, you're more, you've got higher insulin resistance, which is not obviously what we want. However, exercise is good for increasing insulin sensitivity and you can sort of offset that a little bit. So you actually wouldn't want to stop exercising when you're more insulin resistant because exercise is protective against insulin resistance and it makes you more insulin sensitive. Um, Another issue is when you've got lower estrogen, which is what happens right before your period, that's kind of when estrogen is pretty much at its lowest. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of mood um, disruptions, so you PMS type um, things, and you've got lower body satisfaction. A lot of people have a little more bloating before the period and things like that. So if you're more tired, if you're feeling a little bit bloated, if you're perhaps having a really crap day at work and someone's just driving you mad and you're just in a foul mood, chances are your exercises and your training aren't going to be as good quality. You're probably not going to feel as good about yourself and your body image and body image is our perceptions of ourselves rather than how we actually look. Um, so all of this sort of adds up to potentially not feeling your best at that point. Yeah. Sorry, now the, yeah. The, the, the interesting thing that all these changes in fluctuations are taking place in hormones, right? You, you get people like moi here who really feels them. Like the last two weeks before my cycle, like I am that I'm eating like crazy because I'm hungry, which I know you're going to talk about. Right. So I'm really hungry. My energy level is like, down there my training sucks my mood sucks but the moment i start my period like the first two weeks right i am the strongest however people like my sister and some of my other clients they haven't got any of these symptoms like whether they're on whether they're off nothing changes which is that like you uh, I find that I don't feel especially like I have high days and low days, but I don't, they don't line up. I tried to track cause I track my cycle and that's probably something we should have mentioned at the beginning that if you don't track your cycle, it's a really good idea to start because yeah. it just gives you a little bit more information. Um, and then you can work backwards rather than sort of assuming there might be something going on. You can track your symptoms against your cycle and see if there is a correlation or if it's just random, mine's random. Like, um, at one point, my PT would program my deload weeks around when, in theory, and where the most evidence shows that you're a little bit weaker, which is the week before. So yeah. a lot of people do program. If you do four-week blocks, which I used to do four-week training blocks, yeah. 
which was building up to like max reps and then taking a deload week, then you'd build three weeks, then a deload week, etc. And it didn't make a difference because I'd get out of sync for whatever reason, I'd miss a week's training or I'd get in extra sessions and or not and didn't make a difference to me. Yeah, so I, th- I think like you said, just if you're trying to understand how to structure your training, right, it's really important to just wear, to know where you are in your cycle. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I can totally tell. Now, talk to us about um, the changes in hormones and how that can affect our nutrition and our energy levels and our cravings and all that stuff. So, again, let's prefix this by saying some people are going to feel the differences more than others. Some people wouldn't even know if it wasn't for... Um, tracking for example that they were even having hormonal fluctuations and I think um it's a little bit like leading questions if I say did you see that blue car on the street that's totally different to seeing did you see anything on the street because I've already essentially put in your head that there is a blue car whereas if I just say did you see something on the street um it's not leading you into something it's sort of it's an open question whereas if I go did you see the blue car no but the blue car like did you see it you're then thinking there's a blue car and even if there wasn't one because our minds play tricks on us all the time you will be going yeah she said there was a blue car so there must have been one I'm just going to say yes and yeah it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy um so if I tell you you're going to get cravings the week before your period um Oh, I've got cravings now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it's like, am I actually hungry? Or is it because somebody's told me that women get cravings at this time of the month? Because if I said you actually get cravings on day 10 of your cycle, which isn't a thing, I don't think I've seen that anywhere. <laughs> but then if you're tracking your cycle, and you know, day 10, it's like, oh, that chocolate, it's calling my name. I need to go eat that chocolate because it's day 10. And Joe said that I get cravings on day 10. And it's yeah. like, do you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, the placebo effect, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so, um, however, I do find that I am hungrier the week before my period. So, from an anecdotal perspective, um, again, the research is very mixed on this, but it seems like most people tend to feel that um, your BMR, which is your basal metabolic rate, that's what takes up the most energy expenditure. So, that's things like all the energy needed for your brain to breathe, all of your sort of vital bodily functions. Um, So your BMR is a little bit higher in the last week before your period. Um, Most people tend to estimate this about 100 to 200 calories. Now, some people who get cravings, one or 200 calories is not even going to touch the edges. So in that instance, do you just ignore it? And if you can, and if you're able to, that is one option. For other people, just putting your calories up a little bit is helpful. And that's what I used to do in when I'm in a dieting phase. I have a higher calorie week on the week before my period. Now, whether it's in the same net deficit because of that little extra bit on BMR or whether it's a little bit more. Um, but I plan around it because I know if I don't increase it a little bit, I'm going to end up in some sort of binge restrict kind of, and then I'm going to probably overeat. And I just know that's how my body will react if I go too low yeah so it's a case of planning around how your own 
physiology works and thing uh, and how you work as a person and then planning around it because i know if i over restrict i will then overeat so i don't over restrict because that works for me other people can just ignore the cravings and know that it's only a few days it will pass then i'll be fine so it's a case of again we're going back to individualize everything now with me it's really interesting i've tried to to sort of because i have i don't i don't really count calories or keep how many calories i take in that the only thing that i i keep an account of is my protein right but other than that i eat according to hunger and stuff like that now what i find interesting is that the week before I start, yeah, I'm hungry all the time and I would eat when I'm hungry, right? I, I just try to be mindful to make sure it's actually hunger. That, that's one thing that I do. Am I actually hungry or am I just bored or stressed or some of those other things, right? If I'm actually hungry, I'd eat. However, when I start, my appetite just drops as well. It's almost like my body is trying to now balance it, itself out and goes, you know what? You... Last week, you took in a lot of calories. This week, we are going to reduce that slightly, which is really interesting, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm trying to eat less. I'm just not as hungry. So with clients, I tend to, to, to tell them to sort of do things like, you know, before you grab that snack, right? First, make sure you're actually hungry. So respond to your cravings and not react to them because... A lot of us don't think about what we're eating. We're hungry. We just go grab it and eat. But if you take a few minutes, step back and think, okay, is this actual hunger or is this because it's the time of the night? Is it a habit, right? Because I'm used to it. And I watch TV and relax the box of cookies, <laughs> right? And then another thing is, you know, if you are hungry, can you opt for healthier options maybe if you want to do that do you know what i mean what kind of advice do you usually give to people around this period when it comes to their nutrition um i mean one of the other things which we haven't really touched on because i find sometimes you can get a little bit lost in the weeds is on what your actual macronutrient composition is i'm not a big fan of macro splits changing macros throughout the month and things like that because i think it's over complicating Hopefully. what you're doing if you're a professional athlete or something different ballpark but just for normal people if i go eat 34 percent fat this week and then i want you to eat 43 percent fat next week 22 percent fat the following week you're just gonna it's not realistic and it's not feasible like we don't want to be there calculating every single thing food and every single thing right yeah. however through sort of diet culture and things like that fat was demonized for quite a long time obviously sugar's demonized at the moment we'll maybe talk about that another time but if you're having low fat everything sometimes you're not getting enough essential fats now essential fats are called essential because your body can't um synthesize them, them your them it, on its own so you have to get it from the diet so these are things like your omega-6s and your omega-3s yeah. so that's nuts seeds oils fish and things like that um so sometimes just like upping your fat like if you need a little bit of extra and chocolate does have fat in by the way <laughs> 
<laughs> um, but if you just like sometimes if you are going to eat a little bit more on that week before your period, if you eat a lot of low fat products, maybe put in a few full fat products, maybe sort of don't have the low fat yogurt, have the full fat yogurt and things like that. And um, just because um, essential fats are really important. I mean, estrogen and progesterone, the female sex hormones are fat. Yeah, they're, um, so they're stored in fat a lot of um, how they are regulated is to do with adipose tissue and things like that so you actually need a certain amount of fat within your diet so making sure you're getting those good fats is important yeah I don't think that answered the question sorry I think I got off the point <laughs> no, no, that, that, that is a good point because we always think oh I'm trying to lose weight I'm, I'm gonna go low fat on everything well that's not healthy right? We do need the fat, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was asking around the, the, the advice that you, 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 you give to clients, example, the people you've spoken to on how they can manage their nutrition around their cycle and their cravings, if they have cravings. So I've spoken about how I tell them to step back and respond, not react to their cravings, to, to opt for healthier options, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes if you need chocolate, yeah, but yeah. So sometimes if you need chocolate, eat chocolate. Yeah, eat chocolate. yeah absolutely. If you are, if you are craving something very specific, if you don't have it, you don't fulfill that craving. So you have, you have physical hunger and you have hedonic hunger and hedonic hunger is like in your head. And it's like a psychological craving rather than a physiological craving. Yeah. If you're really hungry, sorry if you're craving chocolate and I go and eat a banana an apple a yogurt and everything well, like that, <laughs> I've not hit the spot that I wanted I was craving chocolate whereas if I'd eaten two cubes of chocolate that probably would have satisfied my craving and that's a lot less calories two things of chocolate than eating a ton of healthy food which I didn't actually want yeah so sometimes you actually have to listen and go you know what that's fine I eat a pretty uh, good diet sort of as a whole food pattern and a dietary pattern i eat protein i eat lots of fruit and vegetables i eat lots of grains i eat essential fats having a few like pieces of chocolate is really not going to do any detriment because my overall eating pattern is healthy so if i'm craving chocolate have the chocolate absolutely i mean that's a good example like i tell people right if your breakfast is crap right if your lunch is crap and if your dinner is crap that bowl of salad isn't going to make much of a difference no. the same uh, thing it, on the other end if you have a balanced diet that chocolate bar isn't really going to do much to sort of stop you from getting to your goals right so yeah. it's about getting away from that restrictive mindset i suppose yeah yeah because the more you restrict the more you want something so we yeah. know that like dichotomous thinking around food so good why um healthy bad clean dirty all of this sort of thinking around and labeling of food eat meals and whatnot yep, yep all of that it just i mean it's quite astounding if you look at how bad all of that is now yeah you've got the bodybuilder who has a cheat meal and things like that but he meticulously weighs every single piece of rice the rest of the week and then has one blowout week whereas actually he could probably just eat more sensibly throughout the week wouldn't need a cheat meal and he'd be happier and probably mentally healthier in the long run but you see the cheat meals and the blowouts 
you don't see the way in every grain of rice. Um, and this is the whole thing about what sort of people put out there compared to what's really going on in reality. Awesome. Okay, so we are going to round off um, menstrual cycle, the training and nutrition. So what we said, the training and how you feel about the training, the research is a bit all over the place. Some people are, are going to feel stronger during the first two weeks, some in the last two weeks, you need to track your cycles. If you want to be able to sort of manage that intensity, right, and everybody is going to be unique. Uh, nutritionally, yeah, you may be hungrier, but some people haven't got that effect. Again, there's a, a high in individual variation there. So just because we say, you may get cravings. It doesn't mean you're going to have cravings. Some people do, some people don't. Some people are hungry and some people aren't, right? Help. The basics always work. Eat your vegetables, eat your protein, eat your healthy carbs, exercise, right? Uh, anything else around that? Um, we haven't really talked on losing your cycle when you are younger and it's not menopause or premenopause related. So um just very briefly um if you do have issues obviously firstly seek medical advice speak to your gp um but there's a condition called hypothalamic which i can never say amenorrhea um which is when you lose or ha in short <laughs> pardon ha in short yeah i'm gonna say <laughs> ha now thank you <laughs> um so this is primarily caused from having a low energy availability but it can also be caused by stress um so there's lots of things and we've sort of briefly touched on pms and things like that um part of the problem is we do have more stressful lives generally than we used to now if you're having a really crap time and your job is crazy and you've got kids running around screaming and just everything's going on is it pms causing your low moods and your extra stress or is it stress exacerbating pms yeah. so it's kind of cart before the horse and things like that so sometimes you have to assess these things but um cortisol is the stress hormone and that is linked with the female sex hormones as well and they do these all they all these hormones have sort of interacting qualities um so sometimes it's why stress can cause you to skip a period or lose your period and things like that as well as low energy availability as another reason for ha so it's just a case of if that does start happening to you, you definitely do need to speak to somebody because the long-term health effects from HA can be pretty severe. Yeah. So um, things like cardiovascular disease, which is maybe, I think is that the biggest killer of women now in the like on a year-on-year -year basis, um, brittle bones and things like that. So we'll touch on those when we go on to menopause in a, in a bit. But um, yeah, if you do have any irregularities, in your cycle that is not something that me or Yusra are going to give you advice on that's something that you do definitely need to speak to a doctor about yeah and please let's stop asking important questions like this on random facebook groups you you uh, people are just going to give you their opinions and what they think and their experiences right but we are also unique do get advice from a qualified medical professional 
All right, so let's talk about menopause. So we, you, you, you briefly described when it can start and all that stuff, but what happens through menopause? Basically, the biggest thing is estrogen just completely, not completely, it's still there a little bit, but it totally dives. Um, so you go from having estrogen being the dominant female hormone that we have to it sort of massively down regulating so we have almost none at all um so estrogen is really important for female health it has so many roles within the body we've touched on some of the interactions it has has with other hormones as well um so when the estrogen levels do drop off um it does cause lots of different health related things which we have uh, some that we can help mitigate and others you just need to be aware of so one thing that we will start on is bone health because that's really important because once you get brittle bones there's some sort of it's not really sort of known for sure whether once your bones start to get weaker whether you can reverse that or not so some people think that you can't other people think that you can but ultimately having strong bones when you're younger will be more protective when you're older because essentially you've built up a load of density bone mass density in the bank so the the denser they are effectively the longer it's going to take for them to get weaker um, so if you don't know bone goes through a process where it's being broken down and reformed and estrogen is an important uh, hormone that helps regulate that and when estrogen drops off there's less formation and there's more breakdown and that's what causes um it's why osteopenia and osteoporosis are more prevalent in women because we go from here and then it just drops so yeah and then the the other thing is um you find you find a, a lot of women going through menopause gaining weight right yeah everything yeah. that happens so this is a little bit more complicated because it's not it's a combination of physiology and behavior so it's kind of hard to extrapolate sort of cause and effect when that's the case um estrogen does interact with leptin which is one of the uh, the hunger regulators that's another hormone sorry we're talking lots of hormones today um so um you do get a slight increase in appetite um which obviously can lead you to eat more it, again it's one of these things where some people are more sensitive to changes in leptin than others so much like with cravings not everybody's going to experience them and not everybody's going to experience them to the same severity so i'm not telling you you will definitely eat more when you go through menopause and you will definitely be hungrier you might be um so um the other thing is one of the effects of menopause is sleep disturbance and fatigue and these can end up down regulating your energy expenditure so you possibly will have lower neat which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So walking around, moving, just general. You see that I never sit still. I'm always, <laughs> I'm a fidgeter. House chores and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So um, when you've got lower levels of NEAT, um, 
you're going to have a lower energy expenditure. So if you're a little bit hungrier, so you eat just a little bit more and then you move just a little bit less. If you don't then actually regulate what you're eating with regards to eating a little bit less consciously, then it's quite likely that you will put on a little bit of weight. Um, I think the average is something like three kilograms uh, of women who go through menopause put on that much. So obviously that's just an average. There's going to be some people who put on none and some people who put more on that, which is why take an average with a pinch of salt doesn't mean that you're going to put on three kilograms. Um, Also, fat distribution changes because when you are younger women tend to store more fat on their bum and their thighs um but then with your change in hormonal profile you tend to store more centrally so you tend to find that it's a common sort of um complaint with menopausal women that they want to spot reduce fat which we know we can't really do but because their fat is essentially they might not have actually put on weight but the weight has moved where it's stored so they feel like they have the body fat, yeah? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> a, a pear to an apple is what right? I'm Absolutely incredible. And also what I wanted to sort of talk about is hormone therapy, right? So uh, going through hormone therapy will, will have an impact on all the symptoms and how you're feeling. Now, a lot of people are scared of hormone therapy this is down to that research i think that it came around what was it 2002 that showed uh it increases the risk of breast cancer so everybody was like no 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 right and then a few years later i think in 2018 they revisited that research and they actually said no the risk isn't as high it's not more higher than factors from unhealthy lifestyle being overweight and stuff like that however i will go back to this there is a massive inter-individual variation so some people will be okay with hormone therapy some people will not always go back to your doctor however all these things can have an impact on how you feel on your energy levels on your mood on the uh what is that on on having hot flashes or not and stuff like that Another interesting part with hot flashes is we actually do have research that shows resistance training can reduce hot flashes by 50%. I didn't know that one. How interesting is that? There you go, resistance training. Now, lifting weights is magic. (laughs) Let's talk about that, right? Let's talk about the training around menopause. Is there a specific training style that is best for everybody no because we're all unicorns (laughs) um everyone's different so yes there are better but the problem is it's like i would say weight training but if you don't like weight training that isn't the best exercise for you because you're not going to stick with it no exactly if you hate going and you just like oh i've got to go to the gym i hate the gym yeah they'll look at me while I'm there I don't know how to use the machines you're not going to go because so what you need to do is try things try everything that you is in your area find something that you like 
Um, I mean, since my mum retired, she's been trying all sorts of things. She now does Pilates and yoga. She did try swimming, the gym and all different types of things. She actually quite liked the gym. She only stopped going because of COVID, but she'd never stepped into a gym before the age of 67. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so yeah, you just, you don't know. And she, she did quite like it, but she doesn't want to go back at the moment, but we'll see if she does it in the future. But it's just a case of finding what works for you. Um, my gym, I used to do, I can't train at the moment because I've complications following surgery. I'm not allowed. Um, physios have me on a rehab routine at the moment, but um, I did power training, uh, power lifting based training and I loved it, but it was also because the gym that I went to did group classes. So there would be this community aspect. And that's why CrossFit is as popular as it is. It's yeah. not because of what you actually do when you go to CrossFit. It's because of the atmosphere and the environment that they've created, which is amazing. Hypes you up and you just go yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just that whole community vibe. Everybody sort of cheering everybody on and it doesn't matter if one person's PR is 50 kilograms and another person's PR is 200 kilograms you get the same sort of enthusiasm and vibe just for hitting a PR it doesn't matter what the PR is it's the fact that you've done it so sort of it's a case of trying things maybe a team sport like netball or hockey and things like that it doesn't matter sort of what the best thing is is a case of what will you actually stick with and you're not going to stick with something you don't like and you don't enjoy but weight staying training active. <laughs> staying active right staying yeah. active is, is so important and my bias is naturally resistance training right because then i can get in and out and down and of course outside that i have to keep up my activity levels keep neat high and stuff like that now talk to us about anabolic resistance so basically to maintain or build muscle yeah. you have to create a stimulus there are two ways main ways that this is done one is through some sort of exercise now it needs to be to build muscle, it needs to be progressive overload. So it has to progressively get harder because if something stays the same, you adapt to the change and then you don't improve further. Um, so, I mean, if you think of that, like learning anything, yeah. if you did learn the piano and you learn a scale, if you just did that scale over and over again, you're never going to learn to play Mozart. You have to progress to get up there. And if you stop progressing, you don't then gain anything. So you have to keep building up to um, adapt because your body is very good at adapting to change. Once you've built muscle, maintaining it is much easier and you need to do much less. Um, but you do have to create that progression to actually build it. Um, so weight bearing exercise is the best way to do that. But you can build muscles from certain other sports and activities as well. Um, the second way is through nutrition, which is protein and you need a certain amount of protein in certain periods. So usually sort of 25 grams, three to four hours apart, and then each protein serving um, stimulates muscle protein synthesis, which is the building of muscle. Um, and that's the other way that you can help maintain muscle and grow muscle. Um, as we get older, anabolic resistance means that 
your body becomes more resistant to the stimulant and therefore you need a bigger stimulant to maximally stimulate the muscle. So for example, if as a 30 year old, a 25 gram serving of protein maximally, sorry, stimulates MPS, as a 50 year old, you might need 30 grams as uh, etc. So I'm just throwing out sort of slightly random numbers there, but just so you get the general idea. Yeah. So essentially, nutritionally, uh, the better things to do is to 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 increase your protein intake, right? Yeah. Which which a lot of us don't have enough protein anyway as we are younger, and it gets even harder as we get older. Yeah, but when you're younger, you could probably get away with smaller yeah. servings more sporadically placed throughout the day. Whereas when you're older, having fewer big servings is actually better. Yeah. 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 Now, now here's the thing. You hear from a lot of women going, I don't want to be muscly and stuff like that right like i don't want to resist mm -hmm. the pain because i'm going to, to look like a guy and things like this now how important is it to have a good amount of muscle as you get older massively because there's a difference between living sorry getting older and living longer yeah um if you are in a home and you're having carers who have to, you can't get up and down from the toilet, you can't do anything for yourself, that isn't to me a good quality of life. Yeah. Like if you wanna live older and maintain the quality of life, maintain your independence, maintaining your muscle mass and your bone density are some of the biggest factors in that because what you tend to find is there's a condition called sarcopenia which is as your muscle and strength drops off now this happens naturally with age in both men and women so for every decade you live your muscle mass goes down now we can try and prevent that through things like resistance training and weight training and through having a high protein diet and things like that. Yeah. Um, but as we've noted with anabolic resistance, it gets a little bit harder as you get older, yeah. but muscle mass is so important just for basic sort of function, walking up and down the stairs. And the thing is, once you start to lose muscle mass, you're more likely to be um, fall over and get injured. If then you've also got brittle bones, you're likely to, um break something and then you lose your mobility and then because you don't heal as quickly when you're older like i had a next door neighbor who sadly has passed away now but a few like there was one winter when it was really icy she was about she was in her mid 80s and she slipped and she was very active before this she yeah. slipped and dislocated and broke her ankle and she never recovered her own freedom she lived on her own at that point she was independent she used to be out and about all the time and she just never recovered from the injury yeah because she never healed properly and then her daughter had to look after her all the time and then she ended up in a care home and things like that and it's just really sad because now, obviously, she was pretty old, and I do understand there is a limit to this. But also, the longer you can maintain your autonomy, the higher quality of life. Because I know that I did go and see her, and she wasn't very happy towards the end. I mean, she was still yeah. sort of 
chatty and things like that. Yeah, kind of, that. You don't want that. someone who's fiercely independent to lose yeah. that. And then, and then you start to look at right depression and anxiety and all these other issues start to come into play because he, he, here they are, they can't support themselves, right? Yeah. So ladies, gain that muscle mass. It's not for today, more so for tomorrow. Super, super important, right? And you know how difficult as a female it is to actually look bulky? Yeah. Like any woman you've seen that's, I mean, properly, properly jacked, she either works out like four to five hours a day or she's taking something. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are, are, are there any supplements uh, that you recommend people like me who are going through these changes to take? Just back to diet very quickly. So the other thing for bone health, which is really important, is calcium. Yeah. So I would say that when you start to be premenopausal, we want to kind of protect the integrity of our bone health as early as we can, because if you start sort of improving your bone health earlier, it's going to sort of prolong the time down the line that the, your bones are going to remain strong. So calcium is really important for that and vitamin D. So if you don't get enough calcium in your diet, there are options with supplements, but you should be able to get enough from your diet and diet is usually better to get your nutrients from before a supplement if you're able to. Yeah. Yeah. Like usually with my clients after discussion and stuff, the supplements that we, we always start with vitamin D, fish oils. Right. And then we talk yeah. about right, what is your eating like and stuff like that. And then you can recommend all these other things. The thing yeah, is, fish oils can help with anabolic resistance potentially. There's a little bit of mixed research there, but fish oils are really good for cardiovascular health, which in women is important too, and they're good for brain health, which can help protect against neurodegenerative disease too. Absolutely. Okay, so good. I have so many questions, and it's already almost an hour. All right, so yeah, sorry, we'll try. We'll try and wrap this up. So. Um, as we lose estrogen through menopause. Um, one nutrient that is probably not that talked about is a phytoestrogen, and that is plant-based foods which have a very similar compound to estrogen, and it kind of mimics some of the sort of effects of estrogen. Yeah. Um, now, I was talking to my friend who's done quite a lot on menopause before earlier, and she said there's actually been a few studies, and they find that um, the effects of menopause are actually a lot less pronounced in Asian women because they tend to eat a lot more soy products and things like that. Oh, interesting. So that's interesting, I thought. Um, so soy is one phytoestrogen. Um, other things include legumes. I didn't write these down and I can never remember them. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's flaxseed, nuts, berries. Yeah. Um, yes, we can maybe do a post and tell you what phytoestrogen foods yeah, yeah. are later because yeah. I can't remember, but soy is definitely one and legumes and things like that. So, yeah. um, but these can, there's also been a few studies that have shown that this can be protective against bone loss and also a reduction in hot flushes from having phytoestrogen foods. If, however, you are on HRT, check with your doctor because there might be some sort of conflict between the two things together. So this is why whenever you take any medication, if you're going to do any changes to your diet, always make sure you run those past your doctor because if you vastly change what you're eating, it can affect if you're on any medications. Also, another th uh, thing that I wanted to mention as a, a possible symptom 
for those who are going through this period is urinary incontinence because of the drop of estrogen, your mm -hmm. pelvic floor starts to get challenged. So urinary incontinence, uh, vaginal dryness, right? That can happen, a painful with, with intercourse. So pain with intercourse. So if you notice any of these symptoms as you go through this period, again, go back to your doctor and they could recommend seeing a, a physiotherapist or recommend some topical estrogen applications, which can help with all these things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with regards to the pelvic floor dysfunction, that can be affected with constipation and things like that. Yeah. So having a high fiber diet can help protect about that. And hydration is very important as well. So make sure you're drinking enough. Okay. Yeah. Now to wrap it up, is there anything magical that people who are, are going through menopause need to do that one thing that will solve all our problems that, that one thing that works for everybody um no but i would say having as much self-compassion for yourself obviously self-compassion is for yourself but um self-compassion and just there's a lot of things with regards to that where we need to sort of take a step back and not be so critical of ourselves don't hate your body for what it's going through try and understand it because when you understand it you can try and manage it so um there are a lot of mindfulness techniques and things like that that can help um minimize some of the um effects of menopause and things like that and can help um there's also things like cbt can help with some of the um cognitive behavioral therapy and things like that which can also help with some uh, things uh, certainly sleep disturbance and hot flushes I think yeah. there's been evidence that CBT can help with yeah. um, so it's a case of there's no magic pill but also you don't necessarily have to expect the worst because some people do not have major symptoms and do not have major problems with it other people will have the more severe end of the problems but this is why you sort of have to look at it as a excuse me as like a look at it take a step back and look at it as a whole so what medical help can you get what dietary changes can you do what exercise can you do to move and things like that so look at it as sort of like a whole yeah as, as a whole picture right yeah, exactly. yeah. and I talk about or controlling the controllables because there's so many things that we can't control as, as we go through this period but we can help ourselves through nutrition and again there's nothing unique there eat your vegetables eat your protein eat your fruits stay hydrated exercise just move right hopefully you like resistance training because that can help you right <laughs> and that's that's as far as as we can go right and of course yeah. consult your doctor to get medical advice yeah yeah, and be kind to yourself and just because there's things like it's all well and good saying, okay, I'm gonna have lower energy expenditure when I go through menopause. But if you're struggle struggling with massive sleep disturbance and extreme fatigue, going, I have to go to the gym four days a week and do a hit session and then I'm gonna run on the one of my days off and things like that, that isn't looking after yourself. That's not being kind to yourself. You have to sort of deal with the circumstances that you're in. So pushing yourself through it and just going, I've just got to grit my teeth and do it. That isn't the way to sort of manage it. And that is such a good point because I noticed that like since last year, I, I can't handle cardio, right? Every time I do like 
a cardio, which I don't do a lot of, to be fair, but every time I do it, my recovery sucks. The next two, two three days I am. So I've actually had to uh, uh, cut down my training. Mm -hmm. All I do is resistance train three times a week, 20 minutes a day, that's it. At the moment, that's all I can handle. At the moment, that's all I can, I can recover from. And I'm doing great, right? So yeah, we don't have to kill ourselves at the gym five days a week. Self-compassion is also stepping back and realizing my body just needs to come down and just take it one day at a time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Joe. It was so good to have you on here. We are going to have you on here again. So many other interesting topics that we are going to dive into. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Thanks.